Good to see all of you here. Uh, I just got back from Florida. That was nice. It was fun. We went down there, uh, a bunch of us, for a church planting kind of conference thing. And uh, it was beautiful weather. We went, you know, the last day there was Thursday when we were there. Uh, woke up, went to a water park, and then uh, <laughs> and then came back home to Minnesota. Um, so I'm fighting something, so I apologize if I just sound gross. I'm going to do my best to get through this tonight, so uh, forgive me if I'm just disgusting. Um, Anyways, we, uh, a, couple, a couple things I want to point out. Uh, I know I've mentioned this before, but I want to highlight it again. I know it's hard to see. This is a, a flyer that's going to be going out. Not a flyer. It's, a, it's part of a, a catalog or booklet that's going to be going around to all the residents here, about 4,000 of them. And uh, basically, Hope Community Church is sponsoring the uh, art crawl that's coming up here. And uh, so we're, we're excited to be taking part of that. And so this is... Um, Kind of what we're doing. So uh, the story is that uh, Pastor Bill, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church, he had mentioned that um, there was a church that was planted out of here about 20 years ago, right about the same time that Hope Community was planted, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. But either way, they got involved with the art crawl, and they took a, like a van and put a bunch of canvases, uh, painting canvases on the side of it, and drove around the lower town area and just said, paint, paint an image of God on it to get involved with the community, and then they displayed all this art in the building uh, for people. And so uh, talked to Drew Zolke. He's our, you know, uh, graphics, you know, genius at Hope and was asking him about what, what, what's something we could do? How do we get involved? And so we got nine of our own artists from Hope Community Church that'll be uh, doing things in here. Hope Hymns will play for an hour. Actually, my mother-in-law, who doesn't come to Hope, she's going to be rocking out in the organ for an hour, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, so she was actually a good, uh, an organ performance major, believe that or not. So um, she's pretty good. So you should come and listen to her. Um, that'll be, so that, anyway, this is April 20, uh, 7th and 28th. It's a Friday and Saturday. And uh, the times are on the website. But anyways, this thing, though, well, we're sending out, so it's a kind of a cartoony picture of Jesus with a thought bubble, and just says Hope Community Church, and all the address and all that stuff is on there, um, and uh, come and come and join our community art project. And so we're kind of kind of stealing the idea from the other church that I don't remember, um, and we're going to kind of have the community be able to color and draw and fill in this thought bubble of Jesus, whatever they think would be what Jesus would want to say to us right now. It could be dangerous, but I'm looking forward to it. And I, and I want the community to know that we are here, that we love the community, and we love art uh, just as much as they do. And we love good art, and so we want to be able to do that. And, and so we'll have kind of a, I don't know where we're going to do it, we'll figure it out, a coloring section, and we'll have all this on display. And, and so maybe the week before, uh, we'll have some of these in the community room, and we can fill them out as well, so we have some to begin with. But I just want to put that in your calendar. Art Crawl, April 27th, 28th. We'll make more announcements about that. Uh, but we, we'll probably need help setting up and cleaning up with that, so if you're interested in that, uh, please let me know. Um, another thing, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but hospitality, we've, we've got, uh, if you've noticed, you know, on the way in, you were greeted by somebody smiling, I'm assuming they were smiling, and handed you a little piece of paper, and, and so we could always use more help and volunteers for that. It's not a, a weekly commitment, it's just a one-time-a-month deal, and so we'd love to, to have you just uh, maybe join one of those teams. Um, and then the other thing, too, is, is treats, and so uh, we uh, have home-baked goods that, we, that people bring every week, and, and that's great, and that's fun, and so if you would like to maybe get involved with that a little bit more, it's, again, not going to be every week, but uh, bring something, you buy it, you can, I don't, I don't care what you do with it, uh, just as long as it's tasty, uh, you can put it in there, and, uh, and we'll enjoy that. Or, or if you have connections with a bakery or something, I, I've called a lot of local bakeries, and they, they're already donating their goods um, to other services that need them more than, a, than we do. So um, anyways, but if you've got connections, let me know. Love to, love to get more involved with that. So Okay, that's that. We are in the, in the book of Exodus, the gospel according to Moses, and this is uh, week seven, I believe. 
And so uh, we're going to be in here for a while, but uh, it's an interesting passage tonight where we're, what Pastor Tim was saying, that, that uh, Moses gets a bad reputation, that it just does not go well for him, thinking that right, he, he's been called by God, go back to Israel, tell the Pharaoh, set my people, let my people go, and it just doesn't work out. And so we're going to see that. And so as I was prepping, as I read this, this chapter, um, all I could think about was Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Um, this was a child children's book that I, I know that I read growing up, which just made me feel sad all the time. I, I don't even remember how it ended. I don't remember if it was a good ending. I just was a, the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And he's just this kid, you know, he wakes up and he's got gum in his hair and he gets blamed for something his sister did or whatever. Just everything that could go wrong went wrong for this, for this kid. And I remember my sister... Amy, she uh, actually memorized it and did it for like a speech uh, one year. And so I, I can just, I remember my sister, um, you know, in her awkward years um, with the big, you know, 90s glasses reciting this. I remember like it was yesterday. And, uh, and that's, that's what happens to Moses. Like he's called by God to go do this amazing thing. And, and so a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, Pastor Cor looking at that he's going to be given uh, the ability and these to, to perform signs and wonders and miracles and then he goes there, and it does not go well. So that's what we're going to look at, a very bad start, Exodus 5, 1 through 21. I want to, again, just real quick recap kind of where Korah was last week. And uh, so this is uh, 4, 27 through 31. Excuse me, it says this. The Lord said to Aaron, uh, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. This is right after the burning bush. So Aaron, Moses' brother, goes out there to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai, and he kissed him. And then Moses and, uh, told Aaron everything the Lord sent him to say and also about the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people. All right, so he was, you know, the, the, he'd throw the stick on the ground, it would turn into a snake, and he could grab it by the tail, and it would turn back into a, a staff, and he could put his hand into his, in his cloak, and it would turn out, come out withered, and he'd pull it back in, and, and it would be healed. So he does that in front of the Israelites, in front of the leaders, and they go, wow, this is, this is great. So they, and they believed. All right, so the Israelites, they're on team Moses, right? They see him do these things, and they're like, yeah, this, this is true. Yahweh, our God, he's finally hearing our cries. He's finally hearing our prayers, and we're going to be set free. And Moses is the guy to do it, that God has clearly uh, blessed him and is using him and his brother Aaron. So when they heard that Yahweh was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. That's where Kor ended last week. And so now we're just going to jump into chapter 5. And he says this in, in chapter 5, Afterward, Moses and Aaron, so right afterward, they, they leave, they, they're with the, the Israelites, the leaders of that, they show them, they're all pumped up, right? They're going to like a pep rally. Yep, we're good, we're going to win this. We're all going to be set free. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. All right, he's saying, I, I worship all these other gods. I even know of other gods, but your God, I do not know. I've never even heard of this God before. All right, and, so, and I love what, uh, what the NIV, what this commentary says here. It says, perhaps nowhere in Pharaoh's hardness of heart demonstrated more clearly 
than the first words he utters in the Exodus narrative. And we're going to see this going back and forth with Pharaoh, of Pharaoh hardening his heart, of God hardening his heart. And so we look at this where we say, well, does, does, is God doing the hardening? Is Pharaoh doing the hardening? And I think when we look at the book of Exodus, it's both and. That we're going to see both sides of this coin of Pharaoh hardening his heart. We're going to see the sovereignty and power of God on display. And we're also going to see that human choices have major, major implications. And so that's what happens with Pharaoh. And so he's got this, just I'm going to stick it to this God right off the bat. The first thing he says uh, is a negative thing. Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? In time, of course, Pharaoh will have this question answered for him, but more pointedly than he ever imagined. And as such, Pharaoh's question foreshadows the irony of Israel's escape from his grasp. Moreover, verse 2 gives us a further glimpse into the true conflict that drives the subsequent chapters. As we saw in chapter 1, the true battle in Exodus is not between the Israelites and Pharaoh, and not even between Moses and Pharaoh. And we got to keep that imagery in our mind as we go through the book of Exodus. But the main thing that God is doing here, that, that, that rather, it is between the God of Israel, between Yahweh and Pharaoh. And we're going to see that when we get to the plagues on, on major display. He says, what then are we to make of Pharaoh's question to Moses in, in 5.2? Is this an honest question? Should we expect Pharaoh to have known who Yahweh is? Pharaoh's question is not simply a request for more information. Again, one of the points of this narrative is to demonstrate Pharaoh's hardness of heart. Pharaoh does not keep the Israelites under lock and key because he doesn't know who Yahweh is, but because he does not know Yahweh meaning he does, not, he does not accord him with any respect. At the very least, he should uh, recognize as a matter of diplomacy the God of the slave people, just as he recognizes the many gods of the Egyptian pantheon and the gods of the other nations around him. Pharaoh's response is disrespectful and sarcastic. He is, uh, with disastrous consequences, position himself to do battle with this God called the God of Israel. And Pharaoh here counterattacks Yahweh's messengers are not given a hearing. So that's what's going on. By him saying, who is this Yahweh? Who is this God? I do not know him, uh, and I do not care. Um, and that's going to that's gonna have some major implications for Pharaoh. So continuing here in Exodus 5, verse 3, he says, Then they said, the God of the Hebrews, this is uh, uh, Moses and Aaron talking again, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness. And if you remember from weeks past, three-day journey didn't mean we're just going to be gone for three days and we're going to come back. It was an indefinite period of time to get out into the wilderness and get away without the watchful eye of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Let us go and take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he will strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Why aren't you working? Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. All right? So, you, so they're all excited. They're thinking, man, Moses, gonna, he, he's going to let us free. He's going to set us free. Always finally hearing us. And so they've all apparently stopped their, their working. So, so verse 6, the same day Pharaoh gave this order. Uh, to slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. 
don't reduce the quota, all right? So, so you're going to make all these bricks. You've got to keep doing this. But listen, we don't want you to give him any straw, which is really needed to make bricks, but their quota has not gone down. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay attention to lies. And pay no attention to lies, all right? So he's, he's going completely against what Yahweh has said and told through Moses. He's saying they're going to make all these bricks and make their work harder. They're being lazy. They're just trying to get away and not do their work. Verse 10, the slave drivers, the overseers, went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go out and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but work uh, will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. And so what does that mean exactly? Uh, The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required for you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? All right, so he's saying, I want you to do something that's impossible. Because you can't do it, I'm going to beat you. Right? What's this all in response to? Moses. All right, so one, one commentary says this about the straw, maybe kind of help us understand a little bit more of what's going on with this whole straw thing. Straw is, a, is preserved uh, plant stalks from the more rigid long stock grains and vegetables. It's okay, so I think we all know when you cut off, a, like I say, wheat or something, you cut it off, and there's a little bit remain, remaining in the ground. Straw comes from those plants and are harvested, but those stalks are, are uh, inedible to humans and or animals. Stubble is the very short remaining stalks of plants after harvesting. The bit between the root and where the reaping sith or sickle uh, cut the plant. It was uh, only a relatively poor substitute for straw, making the process of producing suitable bricks much harder. But it also was harder to gather from harvested fields, even when the season is right, uh, requiring careful, tedious pulling and cutting as compared to the uh, purposefully preserved and usually bundled straw that was almost hopelessly difficult to gather in the off-season. So you can imagine these little stalks, they got to know now go and grab and pull that out to make the bricks that they are still required to make the same amount. The fact that the Israelites, under the new rules, simply could not meet their brick quota is not surprising. Pharaoh had made the task virtually impossible, and when the foreman, even under the penalty of being beaten, could not get the people to produce any more bricks... The situation was obviously intolerable. It is not surprising that an anguished appeal to Pharaoh for relief followed, even though such an appeal was essentially an act of desperation, presumably having little chance of success. So that's what's going on. They're going to get these little pieces of straw, so Pharaoh's just making this impossible. So continuing here in the story, it says, And the Israelite overseers, uh, they went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, and yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. The Egyptians, you got to give us straw. And Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work, and you will not be given any straw. You must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers realized They were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required to you for each day. All right, so you hear Pharaoh here, all right, talking about hard-heartedness, maybe just thick-headedness, whatever you want to call it. And this guy just wasn't going to give him an inch. 
You're, you're slaves, you're going to do this thing, and you're going to do it because Moses has asked for this. You've stopped working as hard as you should be, you're being lazy, you just want to get away, and that's not how that works. And so maybe there's a little bit of a, a personal application here. Right, do you know anybody like that? Right? Like when, you, when you push in, you press them in on something, they just they dig in harder and deeper, right? like a tick, like a parasite. They just won't, they're, they're not willing to, to relent and to give up. I, uh, I remember in, in high school, uh, in physics class, we had this kid uh, in the class who um, was, you know, the, the whole physics thing where there's a, if you, if you uh, shoot a bullet or you just drop a bullet, right, it ends up hitting the ground at the same time, just one's going to be a lot further away, because gravity still has the same effect on a bullet traveling at 5,000 feet per second as it does as a bullet traveling zero feet per second, right? Gravity still pulls on it. And the teacher's teaching this, well, there's a kid in class who's just adamantly, nope, not true, doesn't, doesn't work that way, it's not, doesn't work. And then he's like, well, we, we have a science experiment, I'm going to demonstrate how this is true, actually. Right, and you have the marbles, and you roll one really fast, and you drop one at the same time, and sure enough, they both hit the floor at the same time. Yeah, it's not a bullet, it goes faster. Just right, it wasn't, it wasn't going to give up on that. And that may be kind of stupid and silly uh, and ignorant, but uh, maybe, maybe you have a boss like this, or maybe you have a coworker like this, maybe you have a spouse like this, just somebody who's just not willing to, to give in and to, and to help and to encourage. Um, I can't, my boss, I, my boss is my pastor, so I, I hope that's not true of me. It's not. Steve's great. Um, Right, this is what's going on. Pharaoh's hardening his heart. He's getting, and it's getting to get harder and harder and harder. And we're going to see it all the way to the extreme of even death of his own family member that it finally takes for him to finally obey and listen to Yahweh. All right, so the next portion here, this is, this is the end of the passage, Exodus 5, 1 through 21. Verse 20 says, when they left Pharaoh, all right, so this is the, the overseers, when, when the people who were trying to make these bricks when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, right, to the overseers, the Israelite leaders now here say, may, may Yahweh look on you and judge you, for you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh, and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Whoa! Right? I mean, could you imagine putting yourself in Moses' shoes here? Right, he's standing at the burning bush. God says, uh, I want you to do this. He's like, I, I can't really talk that well. I'm not really eloquent. I, I don't know if I can really do that. I don't think I'm the guy for the job. But you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do it. And God's like, no, you're going to do it. And then here's the staff. You're going to perform all these wonders. You're going to go to Israelites, the leaders, and they're going to listen to you. And Pharaoh will let my people go. And so he shows up. He shows them. He gets everyone excited. This is what's going to happen. I mean, he goes in there saying, hey, let my people go, and ends up making the Israelites' uh, life worse. Right, if Moses had you never even shown up, things would be better, right? That's not a good reputation, right? If like you're getting hired from somebody and it's like, hey man, if we never would have hired you in the first place, we would all be a lot better, right? That's like, not a good thing, and that's what's happening to Moses, putting him in his shoes. And you can imagine the questions that he would ask: Really, God? I mean, really? I said I didn't want to do this, and now here I am in front of the Israelites, looking like an idiot. I've got a bad reputation in this community. They do not like me, and, and, and God, may, man, I think maybe you're, you're even giving yourself a bad name. You said this was going to happen, and now it's not happening. What's going on? And I think we, we look at Moses, and we put ourselves in his shoes, and we look at this, and we got to think about this in the sense of is Moses is wanting um, vindication. 
Moses is wanting to be um, set free. He wants his prayer to be answered. And so Moses is saying, you said you're going to do this, but then you got to think collectively too as the Israelites. That the Israelites are looking at this whole situation, they're praying, they're crying out to God, and what happens? God answers their prayer and makes it worse. Right? I think there's, there's something that we can learn individually, as a group, as a church, as, a, as a, an ethnic group, or whatever minority you might be part of or, or whatever, um, uh, marginalize something. Um, the injustices that happen to a, to a people group to say, what, what can we learn about the story in Exodus that can help us and where we're at at an individual level or as a group of people? And so I want to go to New Testament. This is Mark chapter 6, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I love this passage. Um, one of my favorite passages of scripture. So Jesus is, um, had just finished feeding the 5,000. So he's got the, the loaves and the fishes. He breaks it and ends up feeding all these people. And so Mark says this, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Okay, so Jesus says, disciples, uh, he makes them. All right, get on this boat. You go ahead of me. And while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And this is later that night. Okay, so we don't know how long it's been. Uh, usually they wouldn't do anything outside if, if it was dusk or, or dark out. There wasn't electricity, you know, that kind of thing. So later that night, probably was getting a little darker when Jesus is away from the crowds. The boat, okay, the boat the disciples were on was in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw his disciples, okay? So he's at least close enough, or the disciples are close enough to the shore where he can look out there and see the disciples uh, out there. And he, saw, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. All right, you can imagine, these guys are, a lot of them are fishermen. Like they're, they're, they're used to boats, they're used to being in boats. And Jesus is walking on the land, and clearly he's walking faster than they are able to, to row in this boat. But God told them to go out to that boat. God told them to get in that boat. God told them to cross it, and he can see them. I can see you struggling. Shortly before dawn, all right, so all night long, these disciples have been struggling just to move across this lake in this boat. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And this is when Jesus walks on the water. And he was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking in the lake, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, <coughs> excuse me, they cried out because all they saw, uh, because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. All right, okay? So put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Wait, Jesus, you told me to get in this boat. You could see me struggling in this boat, and yet all you had to do was say, peace be still. You could have done that at, at dusk, right? You could, have, you could have done that eight hours ago, but no, you wait. You wait till you get in the boat, and then you tell the, the storm to calm down. And what I love about this passage uh, Anybody who's ever gone through suffering or maybe you're in the midst of suffering right now, that we look at stories like this and look at the story of, of Exodus and the Israelites and slavery and we look at the situation of going on with Moses and, and, excuse me, God asking him to do something and he does what God tells him to do and something just doesn't work out the way that they thought it was going to work out. Same thing with the disciples. They obey Jesus. Go across, go across the lake in the boat. And when I look at this, I say, man, it seems as if Jesus wanted them to be in the boat. He wanted them to struggle. He wanted them to go through that so he could demonstrate his power. 
And I look at this and I think maybe there are times that when we are in a difficult situation, I love that, uh, that Mal read that verse from 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 9. As a thorn in the flesh. Right? And Paul's saying, God, remove move this thing. I'm sure the disciples were screaming something, right, when they're out there, like, would you please just, like, let us get across the lake, right? Moses doing the same thing. The Israelites crying out to God, and it doesn't seem like there's any answer. And maybe that's because God purposefully has put you in a certain situation to grow you, to mature you in your faith, to kill sin. One of my favorite passages, and I know I've mentioned this before, too, is is Job. Job chapter 42. This is after, um, if you know the story of Job, or if you don't, it's okay. Job is the, by far the wealthiest man in the world at the time. And um, God takes everything from him. All right, Satan uh, comes to God and says, he only worships you because you've, you've put a hedge of protection around him. You've given him anything he could possibly want. And so Satan ends up killing his ten children. And God allows Satan to kill his ten children. Uh, ends up losing all of his farmland and his uh, animals, everything. Uh, and then he ends up getting even his own health taken from him. And Job, as you can imagine, is saying, why? Well, what did I do? Right? I have not sinned. I haven't done something where you would have to punish me, which has really bad theology. Right? If you're in the midst of suffering, it's not because God is saying, oh, you sinned, therefore I'm going to punish you. It doesn't work that way. Because right? we live the gospel. Right? Jesus has, has already absorbed the wrath of God. And so Job is asking, why, why, why? And God shows up in chapter 39 in a whirlwind, and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where, where were you when I told the water how far it could go and then stop? Can you, can you answer that, please? And, and God does this with Job for chapters on all these animals and things that he's done in creation, and Job replies to Yahweh, and he says this, I know that you can do all things. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted, can be stopped, can be diverted in any way. You asked, God, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Who, who is this, Job, right? Job, you, you're trying to get out from underneath this suffering. You're trying to figure this out. And Job says this, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Um... Yesterday was the uh, 18-year anniversary from when my dad passed away, and uh, it never gets easier. Um, those of you who have gone through loss or, or uh, of a loved one, uh, this picture was never taken. <laughs> I know it's kind of weird, but um, Pastor Drew uh, photoshopped me in this picture of my grandpa and my dad, uh, who were pastors, and, and uh, photoshopped me in there. So I, I love the picture, and I wish it could have been taken uh, real, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, and so... Um, I mean, last night I was downstairs with my wife just sobbing. I'm texting my family and, and just remembering the good times, the memories, and, and, and the laughter that we had with him. And I look at that, and I remember, I remember uh, again, my bad theology. I was in eighth grade. Uh, I was 14, and uh, I remember walking into the hospital room and because um, he was sick. We didn't know what he was sick with, and I, just, I was in football pads. I just got out of a game or practice or something. Why I didn't take him off before I got to the hospital, I don't know, but I'm wearing all my football pads, and I walked into the hospital, and my grandma was there, and that was weird, because my grandma lived a few hours away, and I didn't know why she would be there, and she just said, your dad's got cancer, and I, and I went into the bathroom, and I immediately started to repent of my sins, right? My theology was, God, you're punishing my dad because of my sin. Right? That's, that's bad theology. Right? God doesn't do that. 
God says, no, you're forgiven, but you also live in a fallen world. And so I remember repenting on my sins. Um, I remember uh, fasting for weeks on end, praying, and, and those prayers weren't answered the way I wanted them to be answered. Right? I was asking God, get me out of this boat. Get my dad out of this boat. We don't want to be in this boat anymore. It's been too long. This is terrible. Why are you doing this to us? And then all the while now, 18 years later, being able to look back at my life and look at the life and the legacy my dad left and say, oh, no, I think Jesus wanted us in that boat. Because I look back and I, I wouldn't be up here today if it weren't for that moment. Um, it took something in my life to change me. And there's a, in, in another passage in Job, when Job is suffering, he says, when I go through this trial, I'm going to come forth as gold. Right? Gold, and, you know, when it's, when it's found, they got to melt it down, right? And they, and they peel off the dross. And Job is saying, I'm going to go through pain and suffering, but, man, I'm going to come forth as gold. And I'm going to come out of this better than I was. And so uh, God is good. And I remember fasting and praying and thinking, God, why don't you hear my prayers? Just at a conference down in Florida, there was another gentleman down there who had fasted and prayed for his new church plant to get going, and, and somebody else had done the same thing. They fasted together. They prayed together. One of the churches just booms, takes off, and then his is suffering and, and dwindling. And, and then when this guy was asked, hey, why is it? Why is your church growing? He said, well, man, I fasted and I prayed. God answered my prayer. And he's like, what, what about me? Right? I, I did the same thing. We did it together. I remember at Calvary when I was in in normal in Illinois when I was my first job as a pastor and, and I was uh, uh, we would do this thing um, it's dangerous uh, but we do this open mic uh, night of, of prayer requests and praises and testimonies you never people said some crazy things right you hand someone a microphone you never know what's going to come out of their mouth and I and I was just happened to be in the back and I was sitting next to um, two elderly women who had just been widowed uh, that year and uh, from their they lost their husbands both to cancer pretty quickly. And it was testimony time, and another older man gets up, and he grabs the microphone, and he says, man, God is good. I was diagnosed with cancer in, in you know, January, and, and three months later, I've been healed. God is so good. And I'm sitting there, right, as a, as a man who's lost my dad to cancer, these two women who have lost their husbands to cancer, and I said, does that make God not good? No. Right? God is good, whether he puts us in a boat or not. God is good, whether we're enslaved or not. He's still God, and he knowledgeably does things sometimes beyond our own comprehension that we can look at him and say, I understood not things too wonderful for me. I, I can't even comprehend why you're doing this. I can't comprehend why I'm in this boat. I can't comprehend why the waves are crashing against the side of this boat. Get me out of the boat. And maybe sometimes we just step back and need to ask the question, uh, maybe I'm in this boat, maybe I'm in this storm for a reason. And we need to repent and pray and ask God, what can we learn from what he's gotten us through? And so just going into gospel application here, are you too quick to pray for the storm to end? It's okay, right? And we, we see this. Jesus does this. God, remove this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. And he does, and he submits to the plan of the Father. That's what Jesus does. And I think we need to... We need to have that prayer. No matter what you're going through, just instead of maybe praying, you have to pray, God, I want this to be gone. I want to be healed of this. I want that individual to be healed of this. I need a job. I need my marriage to be fixed. Whatever it is, yes, pray for that. But then say in the midst of the storm, what are the life lessons that we can learn 
What can we learn from Jesus? Are we too quick to pray for the storm to end and rather maybe ask God to show us what we could be learning? And then finally, trust God that he does things beyond our comprehension. That he, he literally does things uh, to us that allows things to happen that if he were to tell us about these things, our, our head would explode. We just can't even begin to understand why God does what he does. But man, I can tell you from experience, he is good. He is such a good God. And how do we know that? Because we're on this side of the cross. Because now I get to look at this and say, man, this is the situation I'm going through is awful. Or the situation that my friend or my loved one's going through is terrible. But God, you're good. You are so good that you actually sent your son to suffer and to die for my sins. And you didn't have to do that. I think a lot of times because Jesus is human, we, we can empathize with him and, and we know that what he kind of went through and, and, and we can see him. But imagine what it was like for the father. And I don't think I ever had this thought until I had a son. To say that God the father had to watch his son that he's known from eternity past suffer and bleed and die on a cross. And he did that for us. That's good. That's the only good thing that's happened in this world. Trust God that he does things that are beyond our own comprehension. I'll ask the worship team to go ahead and make their way up here. We're going to transition. I know it's kind of a heavy topic, but at the same time, man, it's good. And I want to be able to celebrate this and remember, remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we're going to be having communion. There will be... Uh, uh, juice that represents the blood of Christ that was uh, um, shed for our sins and, and, the, and the bread which represents the body of Christ that was broken for us and, and Paul tells us that as often as we, we take these elements as long as we eat this bread and drink this cup we do this in remembrance of Jesus and that's what we're doing we're remembering, we're celebrating the fact that man, sometimes Jesus puts us in a boat so we can learn something else and that we can look to him and understand that Jesus has been in the boat before that he is our great high priest. And so we get to remember these elements. If you're not a, a member of this church or a member anywhere, that's okay. All we ask is that to take these elements, you just you follow Jesus. You bow the knee to King Jesus. And then we also get to have a, a baptism. So we're going to be baptizing Stephanie tonight. Uh, she's got a really just an awesome uh, testimony. And so um, if you had just chat with her afterwards and ask her uh, kind of what God has done in her heart. And so we're going to jump into the freezing uh, water back here. And uh, we'll, we'll be quick, but we're going to do it. And uh, I get to stay above the water. <laughs> she does not. Um, and, uh, but anyways, this, what baptism is, it's, just, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. Right, there's something that God did in her life. Uh, uh, this, this comes up in my systematic theology class a lot. Does, does God still perform miracles? Right? You see all these miracles that happen in the Bible. And I look and I say, well, well, yeah, he does it all the time. He literally takes people that are dead and makes them new, makes them alive. He breathes life into them. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, and now they've been made alive in newness of life. Right? This is, this is huge. And so what we get to do in this water tonight is remember that to show that something has happened, that I, that I was buried in the likeness with Christ, but I am raised to walk in newness of life. The water doesn't do anything. The water doesn't save anybody. The water doesn't wash away sins. But what the water does, what she's saying tonight with you, with this community, is that I want to worship Jesus. And I love Jesus. And he has saved me. 
And so let's remember, we're going to have communion, we're going to have a baptism. At the same time, maybe you say, man, I've never, I've never thought about baptism before. I've never thought about um, showing people in the community that, that I want to be baptized. But I want to open that up to you tonight. You say, well, I don't have any clothes or a towel. Well, you're in luck. We've got them. I don't know what sizes they are, but we'll figure it out. Um, okay, so if you want to do that, I'll be back there, and we can talk about it and see if that's a, the right thing to do. Um, and we'd love to, to be able to do that. So, uh, well, let, let, me, let me pray, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this passage in Exodus that we get to look at people who are in the midst of suffering and it seems as if things got worse for them when you promised it should be better. And so God, I want to pray for everyone in this room, any individual in here, or even a group of individuals or peoples who are suffering, going through suffering, in the midst of suffering, uh, that God, that you would uh, ultimately, that you would remove that thorn, yes, but God, in that time, in their hour of need, that they would, as Paul say, and, and as Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so that we would be vessels of grace. That we would remember now tonight what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we remember the fact that we get to celebrate uh, this baptism with Stephanie as she demonstrates to us this inward faith and inward reality um, as it is expressed outwardly through baptism. So God, we praise you. We thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.